and welcome to Elixir Talk, your friendly neighborhood uh, improvised podcast. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am here with Chris Bell. Hi, Desmond. How are you doing? I'm fine, Chris. Uh, wasn't feeling that strong about that intro, gotta be honest. We're doing it live, so this is what happens. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you're better than others. <laughs> and, true. you know, you always want it to be really good, but uh, sometimes it's not as good as you want it to be. <laughs> this is the story of life right there. Uh, so what's been going on? What's happening in your world, Desmond? Uh, what's happening in my world? Well, uh, so we're into 2020. I mean, it's officially 2020 right now. Uh, a couple weeks into January, there's no turning back. Um, You're not allowed to say Happy New Year anymore, everyone. That is that is a thing that you cannot do on the second week <laughs> of January. So, Yeah, I think that's expired. I got in trouble for doing that like a few days ago, so... That really? time has passed. Yeah, because I was trying to just be like, Happy New Year, how's it going? And someone was like, you know, it's quite late into January, you can't really say this anymore. So, H- Had you seen them yet in the New Year? Uh, no, no. But they were just they just were over it. They were just over the New Year introductions. So. I, I think if you haven't seen them yet, there's a bit of a grace period. Mm. I will uh, respond with that. <laughs> right? We should start an etiquette podcast. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. So etiquette speaking talk. of speaking of etiquette and you being British, uh, what do you think about uh, Prince Harry and, oh my God. and Meghan you know, leaving the royal family? Sorry, but do you know how many Americans have been asking me this like over the past <laughs> no. few days? And I'm just like, please just read a newspaper. Just because I'm a Brit doesn't mean I'm like your token commenter on like royal affairs. You know, like, jeez. I th- I think it does actually. Uh, what do I think? I don't care because down with the monarchy. No, I didn't say that. Um, I. I, I think they can do whatever they want to do, and I think it's totally fine they're doing that. So, there we go. And for everyone who hasn't read that news, please go on to the newspapers uh, of the world where they publish these things online and look up the story about Prince Harry. Can we put a link in the show notes? No, I don't even want to do that. <laughs> I just don't even want to do it. Uh, yeah. So Okay, well, keeping the politics to a minimum here yes. on Elixir Talk. Yes, good move. Yeah. Well, uh, I have some news. So we've been um, heavily into planning for MPEX LA, which, as you know, is coming up on Saturday, February the 8th. And in fact, as you also know, uh, we are doing a training on Friday, February 7th, the day beforehand. So if you are into that, um, please check out our website. Uh, Now that I'm saying this, I may not have put the details up on the site, but we will soon. Um, we'll be running an intro training, so people who are maybe have a little bit of experience with Elixir, uh, but really like want to get a solid grounding in the foundations of the language, please come check out this training. Uh, it'll be led by me, your second favorite Elixir Talk co-host, and Chris, your second favorite, favorite. second favorite <laughs> Elixir Talk co-host. Um, but it's shaping up to be a great, uh, great conference. The focus is on real-time applications this year. And I mean, I say this every year, but like we have awesome talks this year and I'm really excited about the lineup. So uh, tickets are on sale. I hope you all will join us in February in sunny and warm Los Angeles for that. And if uh, being sunny and warm wasn't enough of a pitch, we have one of our speakers on today to give you a preview of his talk, which is about why it's time to embrace Erlang, which is pretty interesting. I think that uh we in the Elixir community tend to avoid Erlang or sort of regard it as a uh, necessary thing that's best kept at a distance. But I'm happy to hear why 
we should set aside that troglodytic attitude. So here to give us a preview of his talk is Todd Resedek. Welcome, Todd. Thank you, Desmond. Hi, Chris. Hey, Todd. How's it going? Going well. Yeah? Are you, uh, where, where are you based right now? I am uh, in Castle Rock, Colorado. Beautiful Castle. Castle Rock, Colorado. Not to be confused with the Stephen King Castle Rock novels. I, yeah, I don't think they're related at all. Uh, uh, there's a Castle Rock in the UK. I, I think that's a little bit more well-known. Nice. Very cool. Well, we're very excited to have you on the show here today, Todd. Um, so first of all, do you want to... Oh, actually, we should introduce what you do right now because you just recently changed jobs, isn't that right? That is true. Uh, so those who have seen me before know me as the Weed Maps guy, uh, but I started <laughs> started a new job um, at the beginning of the year. I'm working uh, working at SimpleBet. Amazing. With our good friend Dave Lucia. That's correct. Who was on the podcast fairly recently, if you want to go back and listen to that episode. So, Todd, you do a bunch of other things, right? Aren't you a maintainer of Hex? This is true. I do a lot of other things uh, besides besides all of my kids uh, that run around. I also am a maintainer of Hex. Um, I like to say I'm the dumbest maintainer on Hex, uh, but it's a high bar. And uh, I also do a bunch of toying around with nerves and uh, conference speaking, amongst other things, I suppose. Amazing. Todd is currently wearing a shirt that says Frank and Justin and Connor and Greg, which I assume is a nerve shirt. It, yeah, thank you. Very few people understand the, the reference. Well, you're among friends here, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. I can wear this to only Elixir events or Elixir podcasts. Uh-huh. Uh, otherwise, people ask me what it is, and then I have to explain to them that they're on the core team of hack, of uh, nerves, and then they say, what's a core team? And then, what's a nerves? <laughs> and, uh, oh, brother. Yeah, it takes a while. Oh, brother. Nice. So, I also saw that you've been doing some very interesting things in Nerves recently as well, Todd. So, yeah, I'm guessing you dabble with Nerves on the side and you've kind of been doing a bit of that for some time. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I think like most people, there's there's a lucky handful of people in our community that get to do Nerves full time. Um, John Karstens or... Uh, Matt Ludwig's, for instance, but uh, the rest of us are all doing it on our on our own free time. And um, I like to make little projects and uh, occasionally write up blog article blog articles about them. And uh, you know, I think like most other software people, I get used to just building things all day that only exist in electrons mm-hmm. and that are very ethereal and could be deleted with the push of a button as if they never existed. And sometimes it's nice to build things that are physical and uh, not only that you can interact with in a physical way, but, um, you know, just something that you can see all the time. Oh, it, it doesn't stop. Yeah. It just keeps going like the Terminator. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully not like the Terminator. Um, the, uh, wow. Are we going to get into this? The singularity? This oh my gosh. Oh man. Yeah, hopefully nothing that I build will turn out to be the Terminator. Um, but uh, if if it does happen, I'm sorry. So what we've learned today on the podcast is Todd is right in Skynet. Um, so uh-huh. maybe everyone should watch out. So uh, Yeah. 
there's six of us writing Skynet, and <laughs> none of us are allowed to know what the other five are doing. <laughs> uh, so, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, one of your most recent Nerves projects that folks might have seen online, um, which I know is a smart mirror? So, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, it's the the term "smart" is in quotes. If you couldn't see those, <laughs> there was air quotes there. Um, so, yeah. If you haven't seen it, I guess go online and look for my name, I guess, or we'll post a, post a link in the show notes. Yes, we will. Um, to, to the article. But yeah, um, I had this desire for, I don't know, a long time as, as we do with our hobby projects to, uh, build a mirror that had more of like a built in heads up display in it. So that uh, it's a mirror, but also when you're looking at the mirror, um, you can get some infomatics. So for mine, uh, I have uh, the local weather, like current weather, as well as like forecasted weather for the next mm. five days. And then the current date and time. So it's just like by my door. And when you're on your way out the door, you can kind of see what kind of jacket you should be wearing. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. So it's it's a useful tool. And like... When um, the times that it's been offline, like if I've been making changes to it or working on the case or something, I find like my whole family, we find ourselves looking at it and being like, oh, well, the time's not up there or the weather's not up there right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so I built it using, uh, using Elixir and it just runs on a Raspberry Pi and um, the front end is Live View. And so it was a good excuse to sort of play around with live, live view. And, uh, and the OTP has been great because, you know, it's updating every second and, um, it's just running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so far, so good. So how does this work? Is there, uh, you mentioned there's a heads up display. So it's not a separate screen. Somehow you're overlaying uh, the display onto the glass. Underlaying. Uh, to be precise. So it's a two-way mirror, which uh -huh. you can, uh, there's a link in my blog post about it, but you can buy those pretty easily online. And I, I had this old um, LCD monitor that I wasn't using anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I took all the, the plastic stuff off it. So it's just a panel essentially. Um, and built a, built a frame, like a picture frame around it and plugged in the Raspberry Pi to the HDMI port. Uh, to a glass on top of it, and voila. So as, as long as the uh, as the majority, well, I shouldn't say that. The parts of the screen that are black um, are reflective, and the parts mm. that are white are the are what you see. And mm. so it's uh, the key there is to make a really high contrast um, interface uh, to make it visible. Like at nighttime, it's it's really easy to read, but in the daytime, like you need the right. extra contrast. Amazing. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes for everyone so they can check that out. It's a really cool project, actually, Todd. So, And it sounds like it was actually a useful project as well, so hearing that your family's been uh, using it. So that's, that's Yeah, I try, to, I try to work on things that are useful sometimes. <laughs> well, I but, like that you're kind of repurposing something because I've seen, I don't know, digital displays that you can hang up in your room and it's like... I have a mirror and I have this other thing and the other thing is just there to show me the weather or I don't know, scrolling news and it's like now I have several things and I like that you've combined those into a single useful unit. Like whether or not the back display is working, a mirror is still useful. 
Yeah, so it's. Uh, I think you've augmented the one piece. There's a there's a saying I live by when working on hardware, and it's a it's a Mitch Hedberg quote, and it, I'll just paraphrase it, but basically he says that an escalator can never be broken; it can only be stairs. And so, like in this case, when the uh, if the OTP app were to crash for some reason, which it won't, um, but I did have a I did have an SD card go bad um, on me on it that I had, mm-hmm. so I had to reburn it. Uh, at least you have a mirror, so no one's going to walk past it and be like, "Why do you have this broken thing on the wall?" Sure. Uh, so it will always be a mirror as long as is our current Earth physics hold up. I would say that's resilient in the face of failure. Just like Chris is a mirror. Just like Chris Bell. (laughs) (laughs) So, can you tell us about any other nerves projects that you've done as well? Anything else interesting? Uh, Sure. So, I did a talk uh, at Lone Star Elixir last year about the Drizzle 2000, which is a very futuristic uh, smart sprinkler controller, Um, and that was also born out of necessity. So, I uh, I needed a sprinkler controller that could handle multiple zones or more zones than the one I that came with my house and uh, and so the drizzle 2000 is futuristic just like the year 2000 and it's built on nerves and uses AI technologies uh, to adjust your your watering times so time out the year 2000 is no longer futuristic what I'm just I'm just gonna say that right now the year 2000 was a long time ago but it had such a good aesthetic. <laughs> You know, what? I feel like it was more futuristic than what we're living in now. Uh, I, it was kind back, of the 90s. Back up, dude. Uh, next, <laughs> ne- next thing you're, you're going to tell me, Jerry's dead. So, all right. <laughs> also happened before the year 2000. So I was watching uh, Back to the Future Part 2 the other day. Uh, my girlfriend has never seen these movies, so we're having a wild ride through this. And I haven't seen them in a long time, but they were some of my favorite films as a kid, the Back to the Future movies. And Back to the Future Part 2 uh, was easily my favorite. So they go into the future in this one, uh, the future being 2015. And this is like, they have hoverboards, a flying DeLorean, and I think it, it was burned into uh, every kid my age's head that like, wow, the future in 2015. And watching it now, it's still fun. Like, it still looks like the future, but it was also like five years ago. And that was not just a couple months ago. I mean, that was several years ago now um, that this was in the past. So, I mean, you know, I guess that's how time works, right? But I think we have to recalibrate um, uh, what what is futuristic. So, you know, I mean, it's 2020, as we've established. So maybe like the lawn sprinkler 2050 or 3000? 3000. How about 3000? 3000? I could just, I could hedge my bets and just call it the drizzle 8000. Nice. And I won't have to rename it. Wow. So when I, when I was a youth, there was a computer company called Gateway Two Thousand, mm-hmm. which was a very a very myopic name for a computer company that came out in like nineteen ninety two. They came. They had, uh, those computers came in boxes with uh with cow the cow prints print. On them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was they, awesome. they didn't have a lot of faith in that company when they founded it. I, <laughs> I feel. Um, so, so was that similar with the, the Drizzle 2000? No, you had no. even less faith, so you named it in, for something in the past. And most things that I do are are just for gags, so it made for a very funny gag when I gave the talk. Nice. nice. So that's well, my of, my little secret. 
Speaking of uh, things from the past, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your talk about how it's time to embrace Erlang. So uh, why don't you tell us a bit about how you, or your history with Erlang, um, how you got into it, maybe when you got into it versus getting into Elixir, and how you uh, came to think of this talk. Yeah. Um, so I would say I'm still getting into it. I wouldn't call myself proficient at, at Erlang by any means. Um, and, um, so the, uh, it's, some of this is, is kind of the premise of my talk is when I discovered Elixir, sort of the, um, the, the word on the street was like, this is the, the cure for the Erlang virtual machine, or this is basically gives you everything Thing that the Erlang virtual machine has, which is great, but fixes uh, having to deal with Erlang syntax. And so like that was, I guess, my first, in, my introduction into Erlang uh, was that it apparently can do some amazing things, but uh, nobody actually wants to write it. And so then I started learning Elixir. And, um, and as I got deeper and deeper into it, I realized all the really cool things that happen like in what we call Elixir are really things that exist in OTP that Elixir has just made an abstraction for or given us a, another way to call. Um, and, uh, and also like whenever, whenever I look up, which is often the Elixir documentation, like for a function, um, I, there's like a little button on the side for source. And I usually click that to see like what is actually happening in this function. And I was just finding time and time again, these functions that were just one-liners that just dropped into Erlang syntax and called an Erlang uh, module and maybe just changed the order of the arguments. And so all these things were just sort of hints of like, wow, we are really ignoring what is obviously like the a very powerful, powerful set of tools here. Um, and so, so I guess that began my interest in, in figuring out what Erlang could do and um, as I've been forced into doing like more and more projects, uh, you find that there are there are modules that don't have an Elixir analog. Um, and so like one of them would be like the, the crypto module. Mm -hmm. So that is something that like their Elixir team has never ported over. There's not in a not a crypto module in Elixir or not one in in uh, the standard library, I should say. And so, um, you know, increasingly when you're Working on things like that, you're finding, oh, well, I have to look at Erlang documentation and figure out how it works anyway. And so, um, like you said, like we as Elixirists, I think, have been sort of going out of our way to avoid Erlang. And, um, and I think it's time that we should start embracing Erlang uh, and everything that it can do, as well as all the really great programmers that came before us that mm. have been building great Beam projects for... 30 plus years now that, you know, we sort of look at Jose as the pioneer in our community. It's like he was the first one. He, he wrote the first line of code, but really Jose's first line of code was, you know, 30 years after Joe Armstrong's first line of, of beam code. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I also, you know, part of it is also that we should start embracing that side of our community because there's a lot to learn. So controversial opinion time. Why should we embrace Erlang? I mean, you've said that, and I think people would agree, that uh, Erlang has a deserved reputation for being awkward to use, 
Um, I think we can all agree that the foundation of the VM is awesome, but the language itself and the ecosystem is kind of clunky, uh, which I think made space for Elixir to come in and address a bunch of those issues. So why, like, why? Like, we have, we have Elixir for a reason, uh, because it's much nicer to use. And I mean, I think there's an argument for learning some Erlang syntax so that you can see what's going on under the hood. But how much do we really need to know? And how much is that really going to help us in our day-to-day activities? Yeah, I think that's, I actually think that's a really valid point. And um, I think my talk isn't going to try to say, you know, you should be writing things in pure Erlang modules, but more about um, identifying where there are deficits in Elixir, like, for instance, the crypto module, and not being afraid to go in and just dropping into Erlang syntax. And, um, you know, and, and one reason that you'd want to do that, there are libraries where people have wrapped the Erlang uh, modules in Elixir modules, basically. So you're just calling straight Elixir. Uh, but then you have another dependency that you have to maintain. And, you know, it, it, you know, as somebody that's really into dependencies and the package manager, like, Having the, the longer every dependency that you have in your project is one more liability. Um, and so there's that as well as is, uh, like I said, the community aspect of it. Like I think we should, um, as a community, I noticed, for instance, like the, the LA Elixir meetup is just Elixir LA or L, whatever it is, Elixir LA, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas like our Denver meetup is the Denver Elixir and Erlang meetup. And so, like, we have really, really good Erlang programmers out there that could probably um, give us some background into, you know, why this OTP thing does works this way or, you know, help us out of a jam every now and again. But if you're an Erlang programmer, like, are you going to go to an Elixir meetup and um, are you even necessarily feeling welcomed there? So I, I wouldn't say the, the goal of the talk is not to get you to switch to writing Erlang modules all the time, but it's more to stop stop running away from Erlang syntax, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I definitely think there's some gotchas as well when you're doing the interrupt between the two, right? Um, some things where you do have to go into the Erlang documentation and it might not be obvious about uh, the differences between the two languages that you need to know, like atoms being um, preface with a colon in Elixir, but not in Erlang and things like that. Um, I was also going to say like other places that I've found where I've had to rely on the Erlang libs a bit more is using Q, which I feel yeah. like you use all the time if you're doing anything gen stage related. It's, it's throughout the docs and there is literally no point in having an Elixir wrapper around that because it's such a simple module. Um, and then, well, do you agree with that? I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, a hundred percent. Um, Q is another one of those modules that they point to even in the, uh, like the Elixir guides, getting started guide, um, as a module that you want to learn from the Erlang standard library because yeah, it, it doesn't, exactly. like you said, it doesn't exist in Elixir. Yeah. And I, to be honest with Q, I was just thinking like, oh, you don't need to wrap it. And then I've always found myself needing some functions that are a bit more ergonomic than what comes out of the box with Q. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're DQing and things like that. but um, And then I was thinking the other one that I think all of us have probably dabbled with at some point is ET. And there is, I'm sure there are so many Elixir wrappers for ET at this point, but I usually just use the Erlang um, version. So, Yeah, I agree. I think 
that's the point. I think um, maybe the three of us are more experienced, and so yeah. it's for us it's easier to just feel comfortable dropping into Erlang syntax every now and again. But um, I remembering back when I was newer, like that was really kind of scary to me. So I would jump at the chance to use a library, even if it wasn't very well documented, uh, just to like stay out of Erlang land. No, it makes sense. I I also um this year. Uh, for Advent of Code, I don't know if the two of you follow that, but um, it was a it was a really good year of Advent of Code this year, and um, Fred Haber did a uh, deep dive into every single day using Erlang, and I was just watching along on those videos just to see like a how he thinks because I thought that was really interesting. I like watching other programmers solve problems sometimes, um, and then just seeing like the differences of how he's approaching things in Erlang, and he used. Uh, the digraph module in uh, Erlang a bunch, which I have never, never, never considered using for any problems that is uniquely well suited for um, the kind of problems that you get to pull out in Advent of Code. So that yeah. was like really cool. What um, I've never even heard of the digraph module. You it's, want me to uh, take this, Chris? Yeah, do it. Thanks. Tom. Okay, sorry. Because uh, <laughs> I was just reading about this as, as part of my research for the talk. Um, so digraph allows you to make directional graphs so you'll get um i guess nodes and edges yeah. of your graph and so it, it actually stores all the all the nodes and all the edges and all the connections between the two in uh three separate ets tables like that mm-hmm. that's how its interface works and so you can then like get the distance uh, or the path i guess i should say from an edge to another edge yeah um yeah through the digraph modules. So I'm not smart enough to know where I should use it. It's good to see that Fred does uh, and not surprising. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool piece of technology and I'm surprised that it's not in the standard library for Elixir, to be honest with you. But isn't this also crazy that this is effectively in the Erlang standard library that there's like a whole graph module? There's like a graph database? In- uh, yeah, and it's like like very well tested and clearly very well used like i think a lot of people use that in the Erlang space so there's probably a a really banal like mundane story about why they needed it at (laughs) ericsson like oh sure well we've got like three telephone operators or three you know switches and if you're calling from oslo to helsinki you know we need to connect through you know stockholm so yeah I mean, actually, a lot of networks are represented in that way as well. So it does kind of make sense if you think about it as being an extension of something in the telephony mm. space. So definitely interesting. But yeah, I was I was like watching the videos, seeing that, and it's like one of those modules that you're like, wow, this thing is so powerful, and it's right there, easy to use, and I don't really need to think about an Elixir wrapper for this because it's a fairly uh, straightforward API, actually. So what's... um. What's the way forward for embracing Erlang? I mean, I, I want to start off by saying that I don't think there's a problem with, like, talking to Erlang programmers. Um, they do show up to the Elixir LA meetup sometimes, and, like, every time I've seen an Erlanger show up to an Elixir group, they're kind of like the, the graybeards. You know, they, they have this aura about them, like, they command a lot of respect. Um, so I, I don't think we have a, like, personal personnel issue with Erlang. Um, I mean, the cultures are a little different, and that's interesting sometimes, but everyone, I don't know, everyone's like a nice person, so I don't see a problem there. So I really want to focus on, like, using the code. 
which I think is is the thrust of the talk. And so how do we, I mean, again, first of all, what's the goal? Is it just to be more comfortable looking at like the ETS interface? Uh, do we want to have people contributing to Erlang libraries or to Elixir because Elixir is mostly written in Erlang? Uh, what's, what's the goal and how do we get there? Yeah, so I would say there's a few goals. So um, first goal is just, just stop being afraid of Erlang in general. The, the next goal would be, um, what, as, as Jose has pointed out, like Elixir is almost done and there's, you know, maybe a thousand or more people that have contributed to Elix the Elixir Lang repo or, or that project so far. And I'd say those opportunities are dwindling. And it, as we're extending our ecosystem, like more and more of that is going to happen in the layers below Elixir. So in, um, in the, Assembler that, that converts from, uh, Elixir syntax into the Erlang bytecode and, and those layers all the way down to OTP itself. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you want to like, as you're contributing more to the community at like a high level, um, obviously there are a lot of ways to contribute to the community, including build tools and release tools, uh, which I'm passionate about. Um, uh, but learning Erlang will help you get involved with that. Um, and we've seen projects like telemetry, which is, I think a really huge project in our ecosystem um, that was originally going to be an Elixir project, but has turned into an Erlang project for for interop reasons. Um, and so I think um, I, I maybe this is my projection, but I would say as a community, we started out sort of forked of like, we're the Elixir side and you're the Erlang side. And um, we've been coming together. And I think... Um, the goal is just to keep coming together even more so that there really isn't a difference between an Erlanger and an Elixir, Elixirist. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also like part of the, the goal is just to expose some of the things that exist in Erlang that don't exist um, in Elixir, like the digraph module, for instance, that you just maybe you otherwise would mm -hmm. have not heard of. Hmm. Uh, cool. So, I mean, where can people learn more about this stuff, or or get a little more familiar with uh, Erlang and some of these some of these core libraries aside from your talk? Yeah. So, there's a couple of books online. So, Fred uh, Aber wrote a book uh, called uh, "Learn You Some Erlang," and that's available online. As well as uh, Tristan is writing. Tristan and Fred are co-writing a book right now called. Adopting Erlang, and that's at Adopting Erlang on the internet. And uh, so both of those, I think, are good free resources for that. So, okay, those are resources for just kind of learning Erlang. But is there anything that kind of translates? I mean, what am I? I'm picturing like a side by side of here's right. Elixir and here's Erlang. Yeah, so um, there, I don't know of any like online repls that do that, but there is a project that um, I think Michal put out maybe a few years ago now uh, called Decompile that will decompile your Elixir code into Erlang. So if oh, you cool. want, wanted to see that, you could. Um, and so that, that might be a fun thing to do to see, see what your code would look like in Erlang. I think the uh, property testing book also has both, if I remember correctly, the F Fred's property testing book. So... That might be an interesting comparison. Maybe we should all write a book about the differences between the two and how you can learn it. What do you think of that, Todd? That's a great idea. 
<laughs> Let's do it. Maybe you should do All it. Right. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Desmond, we can count on you for the forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might need some need a couple tries to get it right though. Oh, okay. Me and uh me and I'll enlist Brian Paxton. He can write it write it for us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. He keeps telling me that I have to like hit you or something every time I see you and I keep being like, I don't want to hit Todd. I don't know I don't know what kind of beef you guys have going on. Oh man. We don't have a we don't have a beef. Elixir community beef. You heard it here first, folks. That's it. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how we we get the community to grow is we just stoke random beefs between people and everyone just tunes in for the arguments instead of the oh like the, the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This becomes some kind of I don't know celebrity esque podcast. I'm thinking more like professional wrestling. Oh, okay. There you go. Storylines like Chris and I fall out. Oh, or something. Oh man, <laughs> we both like start our own podcast or join other podcasts, and then we oh, come back together. It would be yeah. like Hollywood Hogan, and, and Desmond could become the heel, and Chris will stay the good guy. Sorry, Thanks. is this? Are you not getting this reference? No, no. not at all. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, okay, I'm impressed so there, with that. The the depth of knowledge here. There was a period of time when Hulk Hogan, who was who was always, you know, the good guy. He left WWF at the time, now WWE wrestling for, for uh, I don't know what, TNT wrestling, I think, or whatever it was called. And he became Hollywood Hogan. And all of a sudden, he was a heel. Okay. That's really, really lame. Sorry if you're listening to this podcast. Is heel the, like, <laughs> official term for the villain? Yeah, the heel in, in wrestling would be the villain. You know, your Andre the Giant, Iron Sheik type. Uh I didn't know that. I've just learned a lot about Erlang and about wrestling. So, what an informative a, show. We should write a book on wrestling. Wrestling and Erlang. I think there's a bigger <laughs> market for wrestling than for Erlang, if I'm honest. It's probably oh, man. True. All right. Probably it's probably true. It's big in Europe. So, Todd, have you, been, have you actually written any production Erlang code that you're just like, it's a straight Erlang module and uh, or done anything around that? Not yet. Um, so, well, actually, actually, that's kind of false. There is a, there is a repo that we use in Hex, uh, called HexCore, which is all written in Erlang. And I've touched that one or two times. Nice. Um, and, uh, I am not that great at it. Uh, but thankfully, Voitech and Mihal are, are around to review my code. So, and, cool. uh, Voitech and I are, going to be working on a, a new library to help the community out pretty soon uh, that will all be written in Erlang. Ooh, can we hear more about that? Uh, I wish I could tell you more about oh, it. So on. it's uh, I mean, to advertise our, our future projects is to advertise our failures uh, when we don't actually do it. But uh, Yeah, that's an Elixir Talk tradition. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to yeah. be loosely adjacent to Hex and Rebar 3. So Okay. Something that uh, we we need, but also could be used throughout the community. So, but that's you know that's that. Um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about conferences. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, right. Todd, do you want to? So, how many times have you been to MPEX now? Just I've been to MPEX LA all all times. So this will be my third year. This is MPEX LA number three, and this number three. This will be my third time there. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it's a great time. I've said it's it's one of my favorite conferences. 
to go to. It's got a good intimacy. It's a great space. Um, are we okay to talk about this? Is this like yeah? Is this we ghastly? This. Are we going to cut this out of the show? No, why keep would going. we cut it out? I don't know because it seems like a, a keep promo. telling us how great our conference is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I just I think um, the the big elixir conference is is nice because like everybody's there and and the hallway track is the best thing there because it's just you see people from everywhere that you may not otherwise see throughout the year. But really, like. What I enjoy more are the regional conferences because they are more intimate. Like there's a hundred or 150 people there maybe, and you're all in a pretty tight space and it's single track. So you're sort of, um, you can't avoid talking to most everybody. Uh, whereas like when you're in a big hotel or a big conference hall, um, it's easy to kind of go off and, and just hang out with the people that you already know. Um, mm-hmm. and so, it's, uh, that's, you know, one of the things that I really like about MPEX and, uh, at my first MPEX and, and last year also, I've just, I've met a lot of really cool people that I probably wouldn't have known otherwise, uh, including my, my new boss at SimpleBet, Dave Lucia. Yeah. You guys met at MPEX, uh, two years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, 2018, we were both, uh, speakers at that conference and we met and we've been in touch ever since. And, mm-hmm. and when it was time for me to, to mosey along and look at other opportunities. Uh, I was fortunate to uh, be able to, I guess, just hit him up and see what he had going on at SimpleBet. So. Amazing. Yeah, so we're, awesome. we're putting people together at MPEX. It's great. It's great. But you do need to come to the New York version as well at some point, Todd, <laughs> even though you are not the biggest fan of New York, as I learned in the bit before we started recording this episode. There, Yes, there are, there are qualities about New York that I like. Um, some that I don't. So I, I lived in New York. I left there a little over 10 years ago. And, uh, I recently went back, uh, to visit Simple Bet, um, just a month or so ago. And I, I had a romantic feeling about New York before I landed. I was like, oh man, there were so many cool things to do there. And, you know, you walk everywhere. You don't have to drive. And, you know, you got Broadway musical theater and stuff. And then I got there. And remembered how you have to wait in a queue for everything and fighting crowds and uh, scaffolds as far mm-hmm. as the eye can see. So permanent scaffolding in Manhattan. So yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for him to finish the construction, but I still haven't finished <laughs> it. So um, it's a nice place to visit. Yeah. yeah. I, I love living here and I know you're going to be here soon. So hopefully we can catch up there as well. But um, I, I think, uh, wh- where else can we see you? Are you speaking at any other conferences as well? Yes. Uh, so I will be speaking obviously at MPEX. And then a few weeks after that, I'll be down in Austin at Lone Star uh, speaking about a nerves project. And Amazing. then I will be in San Francisco for Codebeam. Wow. You really get around on the speaking circuit. Eh? We're lucky to have you here. Well, I'm dumb. The thing is, I'm dumb. And so I apply to all the conferences thinking <laughs> that maybe I'll get accepted to one. And then, and then sometimes, I guess, this happens. And so I, I gotta, I gotta rethink that. So, um, is there anything that the community, community can do to help you out? Like getting involved in some of the projects you're working on? Uh, I mean, is there any way that people can, reach out to you and contribute to you to some of your nervous projects or some of your hex work. Yeah, I think 
it would be great to have some help on Hex. Um, we have uh, we have some nice souls that are helping us work on that. So Brian Paxton, the aforementioned Brian Paxton, contributes a lot. Uh, Johanna Larson's been working on a project with Hex for the last few months now. Uh, but it's always great to have extra helpers on that. It's a big it's a big part of our community, and so um, helping us get things done and getting things done faster is is going to help everybody. Mm. Cool. Amazing. Well, I guess we should wrap up this episode today. Um, but Todd, first of all, thank you so much for all the work you've been doing and all of the speaking that you're going to be doing soon. I'm looking forward to hearing your talk at MPEX LA um, and then hopefully somewhere else as well. So uh, if, if you are at any of those conferences that Todd mentioned and you listen to this podcast, go up and say hi to Todd. He's incredibly nice. I met him many years ago at MPEX LA and... Uh, yeah we've seen each other around the community ever since so very glad to have you in this community todd and thank you so much for being on the show here today as they say at chick-fil-a my pleasure (laughs) so folks this has been another episode of elixir talk i've been chris bell i'm desmond (laughs) he's desmond and uh thank you so much for listening as always um, we would really appreciate if you rated or reviewed this podcast wherever you're getting it here today and if you have any questions you can reach out to us on twitter which is twitter.com forward slash elixir talk so as always folks todd do you, do you know what happens at the end i do okay great good 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 okay so thanks very much for listening keep, keep elixir, elixir in. In.